Hi, my name is David Rom. I'm the DP for Ted Lasso, and this is the Go Creative Show. Hello, and welcome to the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli, and today's guest is David Rom, director of photography for the Apple TV Plus series Ted Lasso. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Before we dive in, I just want to quickly mention our sponsor, MZ Education for Creatives, M-Z-E-D. Get 20% off with coupon code GCS20. And of course, follow us on your favorite podcast app, as well as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. All things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. So, David, um, first of all, congratulations on the success of Ted Lasso. It is a massive show, probably the biggest show on Apple TV Plus, I think. I, I mean, it's huge. Congratulations. I thank you very much. Um, it's it's uh, blown us all away, really, how popular it's been, particularly, in fact, in England, uh, where I am, how popular it's been, because uh, I, for one, thought a show about soccer, not football, would, uh, w- and an American wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily go down well, but people love it here as well. Well, I mean, and for good reason. I mean, you've got a great cast. It's funny. It looks great. I mean, certainly we're going to talk about the cinematography here on Go Creative Show because that's what we do. But yeah. um, it's just a great show. It's just a fun show to watch. And for those of you guys that don't know, it follows uh, a U.S. American football coach, Ted Lasso, who heads to the U.K. to manage a struggling London football team in the top flight of English football. So, you know, like you said, a soccer show with an American. There's a lot going on there, yeah. but it works. I know. And during a pandemic, um, you know, (laughs) I think all of that went in the mix and it's uh, it came out pretty perfect. Um, We we were all really, really happy about it. And obviously Apple were as well as we've got season two now underway and three very close behind it. Oh, that's so great. Isn't it nice when you are so successful in the first few episodes that you already have commissioned a second and third season. What a great feeling. <laughs> it's so great for the writers as well to be able to sort of do those, you know, story arcs, et cetera. And yeah, for everyone really. So let's talk about the look because in Ted Lasso, I know that you were tasked with not having it look like a typical TV comedy. So talk to us about that. How, what were you thinking and what were you trying to do with the look of this show? Well, it was a very open remit. Um, they didn't want it to look like the little clips, uh, commercials they've done in the past, which were very much sort of doco style footage. They didn't want it to look uh, like shows like The Office. Uh, they, they wanted it to also not have the, an over glossy uh, network show. So th- yeah. it was more what they didn't want. Uh, but, you know, talking to Jason, Bill, um, we all sort of found common films that we we enjoyed, whether it's uh, Moneyball was a big reference to me and uh, Friday Night Lights was something for, for some of the locker scenes. So putting all that together, it was kind of decided to, to go for a sort of filmic rather than comic uh, comedy style uh, approach. So yeah. sort of a single camera approach, though we use two or three cameras. Well, that's something I certainly want to talk about, too. What, I, what There's always been this discussion of comedy has to kind of look a certain way. I feel like that's been changed a little bit in, in the past few years. But what is it about this kind of thought that comedy has to look a certain way? Why do you think that even exists? 
it's so true. And I think in England, we're even, we're even worse. I think some of the US com- comedy shows are much slicker. Uh, here it was often, it would be multiple cameras, flat lighting, um, everything shot in the wide. Um, and that was how comedy traditionally was shot. Um, and for those reasons, there was often less money in some of the comedy shows. So it's sort of fed back the same way. Um, but it's definitely changing. Uh, more and more shows you can see have a slicker look um, and the approach is more more drama, um, which I think was why they chose me to get involved because I think I'd shot one comedy show in my life. So I didn't even know actually where to start necessarily if they did want me to shoot in a comedy way, um, which was nice. It was very much Jason who felt the show was more than just a comedy. Uh, even though when I read the first script, it read more like a, a gag-based comedy. But he wanted it to be something else, um, that sort of drama that cuts through, as you can see. So, yeah. And of course, we're talking about Jason Sudeikis, the the star of the show and creator of the show. Um, what was it like working with him? I mean, that he he's just got to be such a joy to work with. Oh, he was great. He was great. And I mean, I just watched, I think it was Angry Birds 2 with my four-year-old at the time. And, you know, <laughs> his voice was at home. His voice was at work. He was in my dreams. He was in my nightmares. So, yeah, I'm totally uh, covered in Jason, really. And it was great. I mean, he, he's such a calm chap, uh, work ethic, uh, incredible. Because, you know, he he wrote the show. He oversees the show. Um, but never really got on top of him. So really, really good guy to work with. Yeah, this really is his baby. And in fact, he sort of had... Um he kind of shot this before. Like this, this was an, an idea that exists, not even just an idea, but they actually created shorts for this. Talk to me about that. I mean, was that ever being pushed on you as a reference? Like, were you told to make it look that way or were no. you told the complete opposite? The complete opposite, which was nice because I saw them. And when I saw them, I went, that's not really, they don't need a cinematographer here. They need a couple of, you know, camera people to uh, point a camera and, um, and so I was relieved when that was very quickly dispelled. And um, while it had a lot of energy, the way they shot it before, it wasn't how Jason wanted the show to go. Mm. Um, so, but it was, I had never seen them. I think they were shown during some Super Bowl, perhaps, or some some sporting events in the US. But, you know, you, I found them by searching on YouTube, eventually found them. Um, and, you know, it was it was funny. And you could see this character was going to work. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it, the, you know, it translates when you go from the shorts to the actual show, but you guys just elevated it to a totally, totally different level. And I want to talk to you a little bit more about kind of the way you did that, because you had mentioned earlier that you had only shot one thing that was a comedy before. So when this comes to you and you're being told you're going to be working on a comedy series, you start reading it. What are you thinking? Are you are you nervous? Are you overwhelmed? Are you thinking like, how am I going to translate my skills into comedy? Yes. And in, in a sense, I, I was, the Americans hadn't yet come over. When I say the Americans, I mean a lot of the head writers and producers hadn't come over. So we were sort of unsure in ourselves exactly what uh, we were, which direction this was going to go. Um, 
And I think it was just watching lots of sports movies, um, which I love, uh, and often aren't comedies, um, you know, Moneyball, etc. So they got me more and more inspired to actually that there's so much visual potential, the stadiums, you know, that you've got potential for big wide shots as well as getting in there with the team, you know, team sort of uh, antics that go on in the locker room uh, and all those sort of relationships. So, no, it, it, it was very exciting, actually. And then... I think just the studio was already under construction when I sort of came on board and Paul Cripps was the designer and he'd, he'd sort of had lots of very interesting ideas on how the, the, the sort of stadium was going to look. Mm. Um, and just working with him, we had some ideas of, of how it might work. Unfortunately, none of the stadium had windows in it except Rebecca's office, um, which is a nightmare for a, for a cinematographer. <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. How did that do you think that if you were involved earlier in the production design, you would have said, you know what, maybe put a window in there. <laughs> it you know would help I me a lot. Such a hard time. Such a hard time. Why is there no windows here? But then, you know, he took me around painstakingly to so many locker rooms of all the Premier League. You know, there are, ne there are no windows there. Of course, there's no windows there. Yeah. So it was that inner safe DP in me wanted to sort of you know, just make it easier for myself, I suppose. And also windows just give you uh, so many more lighting options. Uh, when you have top lit uh, for some of the cast as well, it's just harder. Um, so it meant along with the gaffer, we, we made a quite a sort of complicated lighting rig um, that had lots of panels in the ceiling that we could individually turn uh, each one off. We could change the color temperature um, and it allowed us a lot of control actually. And also we just made the ceiling a feature. Um, it was great, low angle shot, ceiling looks great. So, but yes, I initially did curse him, but afterwards, um, just got used to it. Uh, yeah. And I think you're right. I mean, certainly you both must've seen tons of references of what these rooms actually look like. And when you're watching the show, you really need to know where you are. You need to feel like you're in an accurate representation of where you are. So, I mean, yes, but that's a huge challenge. We were talking to, um, the DP of Ma Rainey's, uh, Black Bottom, a oh, yeah. few couple of months ago. And I don't know if you've seen that film, but a lot of it takes place yeah. in like a basement and all yeah. they had is just a little crevice window up in the top. So uh, I find it interesting when you have to work without windows, because now you're bound to what is practically in the space. Absolutely. So how did you overcome those challenges and what did you do? Well, as I said, the lighting design uh, was a big thing by able to control the actual ceiling. We put as many, we, we, we put Ted's office was uh, between the locker room uh, and a sort of training area behind. That gave through views. It meant there could be uh, sconce lights on the walls. You're always looking for some sort of source of light that you can, you can, you can use as a bokeh in the background uh, or just as a highlight, really. So yeah. it was very important for me, and I worked with Paul, the designer, to put some of these lights at sort of eye level around. Um, um, otherwise, it was just uh, sort of using the motivation of that top light, but then bending the laws of physics and just trying not to light everyone uh, with dark eyes and just using lamps on the ground uh, when we could, uh, trying to get as good modelling as possible. But the whole thing about those scenes in the locker room, it's often big groups of players. You don't want lamps on the floor. You do want to be able to use uh, lights from above. And actually, uh, unlike a window, it probably allowed us to shoot those scenes much more easily. Now, when you're going in for close-ups in these situations where you can hide a lamp in the ground or underneath the frame, um, 
do you often choose an actual light source or do you like to go in there with bounce cards? What do you typically like to do? Yeah, no, I dive straight in there with a big frame and a lamp, not dissimilar um, to the one in the ceiling, just uh, on a stand that we can move quite quickly. We can then dim down very quickly with a with a map we've got of every single light, uh, the ones above their head, and we push in from the side. Very easy for a close-up, just to, with the bigger groups of players, you can be rumbled very quickly as the one of the players is hit pretty hard by one and you know everyone else falls in its shadow and you can see the source. So it actually looked better and more realistic having the top light for medium wide shots because I initially started trying to push light in from the sides even for those, and it just didn't look right. A locker room doesn't doesn't have light like that. So sometimes actually things look better by being truer to the to the to the room you're trying to light um, and not trying to cheat too much. I personally, I haven't directed or shot much comedy work. I do mostly commercials, and certainly we've done some stuff that that's like silly and goofy and funny. But I certainly wouldn't like call myself a comedy director. It's a very specific special skill. But I do know from my own personal experiences that generally what we try to do is to light the scene in a way where the talent can just kind of go with it, like lighting so that you're almost able to do, almost able to shoot from anywhere because the talent's only going to give you so many fresh performances that feel right and that have that comedic timing. It's like, I feel like in drama, yeah, you still need to be fresh, obviously, but like in comedy, you really need that first reaction freshness mm -hmm. And you can't necessarily go back and shoot retakes a million times because you kind of lose that. Do you feel working on something like Ted Lasso? Are you thinking about that as well? Yes, but you know, very quickly it that it didn't become an issue because I mean, I guess scenes that are highly emotional as well, you could say the same. You want to put five cameras on them and you know make sure you don't miss that uh, tear rolling down the cheek. Mm. But actually, yeah. Uh, you know, particularly with this this group of actors, you know, Jason would be able to do the same performance five times from five different angles and five different lighting setups. So no, we, we didn't approach it in that way. We approached it just like we would a drama and, you know, and I think that was led by the actors. They, they were, they were comfortable with that. I think it would have changed if they'd said, I got one in me uh, and it's got to be the first shot. But Jason's nearly the opposite. He likes to get into it to, for us to shoot sometimes the, uh, the other actors first and then end on him. So he's sort of, nearly tweaked what he's going to say, some of the some of the gags sometimes. He sort of improvises to himself. Uh, and then for his, the shot on him, he'll, he'll be ready for it. So let's talk about coverage. Like, how did you, did you sort of start with the master, go in for the close-ups, kind of that more traditional way? Um, or did you take a different approach? How did you handle these scenes? That's always in my brain, probably hardwired from, from film school and everything else. Start with the master, get a feel for the scene. But perhaps also because of what you said earlier about comedy, we often wouldn't do that. We'd end with the master because you'd know that often they would, this shot would be used for a moment and to spend too long trying to get that right initially. I know it's counterintuitive in so many ways uh, and so many people give me grief for it. But yeah, don't spend hours trying to set up that initial master. Get in there, get everything you think you need. Get the, some of those special shots, maybe some of those moving shots. Uh, a developing master potentially. And if you do want to cut to a big wide at the end, if you've got the time, get that shot there. So that's interesting. So you started in more of the closer up shots, mediums, and then built out to the master. That's, that's, that's interesting. 
Yeah, definitely not with a close-up, but definitely with um, uh, a shot potentially that I'd uh, maybe plan a moving shot or something, something to take me into the scene, and then I'd do, go for the coverage in the scene and then pop out for that for that way. Mainly with the fear of, you know, sometimes you don't have time for every shot. I wanted wanted to make sure I'd get that that special shot, that moving shot, that shot that uh, wasn't your standard coverage, your wide, your over and over. So sometimes it's safer just getting it first. I want to talk about how you approached the cinematography for Ted sort of being a fish out of water, you know, because he's, it, it is a fish out of water story. I mean, he is sort of experiencing this new world to him the, with the audience. So there has to be moments where he needs to feel and look kind of out of place. Are you doing anything in the lighting or the cinematography to support that? Yeah, very much. I mean, there's two scenes, I think, in particular that counter each other. There's the press room scene in the pilot where he uh, faces the British media, uh, tabloid media for the first time. And that counters to a few scenes later when he goes into the locker room for the first time. And uh, the first space, he's completely out of his comfort zone. We shot it handheld, also not a, not used, you could say, often in sort of network comedies. We, um, we went very close and wide in his face. Um we put him in the center of frame with a lot of headroom. He was lost in the middle of this space. Um, and that counters then to when we went into the locker room where he enters the room, low angle, uh, feels powerful. It's also center framing as well as a big wide, but this is a space now he's in control of. Uh, and you, you feel that control he has in it. The camera sort of spins round to reveal him in, in his space. Um, all very steady and controlled as, as he is. He's comfortable, he's happy. And that's the fish out of water. It, this is the place where he's comfortable. And I think that's that visual storytelling, I hope anyway, um, helped you know, underline his character. It's always so interesting to me that these these cinematography techniques are just timeless, like that that low yeah. angle to show power and a lot of headroom to show kind of being kind of, uh, you know, lost in the scene. Like, yeah. they're just timeless approaches and they work so well all the time. Like, I just, I think those... Those techniques, I think, will always be with us because they just work. I think so. I think uh, you can overuse any technique and it becomes then, um, it can irritate an audience if you overuse it because you're, you're just too on the nose. Um, it should nearly be invisible. But yes, I think you're right. I don't know how this language has obviously been with us 100 years and it's subconscious. <laughs> it really is. So those are great tricks for in the cinematography. And I think you did a great job in, in having those moments where you felt that way or where we recognize that he felt that way. Um, but also what about lighting? Did you do anything in the lighting to kind of create that maybe isolation or that feeling of being lost in a scene? Yeah. I mean, as I say, in the locker room and areas like that, you, you can't do too much. Um, definitely when the team's all in that room, but he, his office, as I say, is squeezed between that room and a training facility and there I was able to sort of dim down those top lights, use lamps in there, and just to make it a sort of darker, more moody place. And of course, what was really nice, by having that window through into um, from the locker room, it allowed him to be isolated and lost within that frame. You know, that frame in frame sort of uh, yeah. thing again, also timeless, but allowed us to isolate him from the team, um, which was definitely an initial uh, motif. You know, it, as you get into... Uh, episodes seven, eight, and series two, you know, those things sort of change and adapt. But initially it was to separate him from the team, to not use over the shoulders. He was on his own, 
uh, and sort of lost. Um, I was more in the framing, you could say, and the operating uh, than lighting, except when we could go to like Ted's apartment and we could play much more there uh, with a noir feel. But um, it, that's generally how we, how we yeah, focused on Ted. Let's take a quick break and talk about MZ Education for Creatives. Now, MZ you want to think about as like the Netflix for filmmaking education, because that's really what it is. I mean, you go to their website at mz.com, M-Z-E-D.com, and you are met with hundreds of hours of high-quality video-based filmmaking education, all sorts of things, directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling, and more. And you know, education is only as good as the teacher. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you really need a good teacher in order to absorb that information. And MZ has certainly fantastic teachers. I mean, they've got Vincent LaFerre, Shane Hurlbut, Philip Bloom. The ARI Academy is on there. One of their recent courses is by Tom Cross, who's the editor of La La Land and Whiplash. So we're talking about people working in the field at a high level, uh, training you and helping you hone your craft. Like, this is exactly what we want as filmmakers. And it's all there at MZ. So, yes, you can buy individual courses, and it's a great way to learn. But I suggest you kind of do the Netflix model, like we talked about, and just become an MZ Pro member. Just do it, because then you have access to everything. The stuff that you're particularly interested in, and maybe stuff that you, you know, just want to dabble in. You have access to all of it. And that's the best way to learn. So head over to gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D. And uh, when you purchase anything, you get a 20% off discount by using coupon code GCS20 and uh, even more reason to become an MZ Pro member. So it's all there at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D, MZ Education for Creatives. Now, you worked with another DP for this series. You're kind of like bouncing back and forth between episodes. Talk to me about the way that the look of the show has evolved over the season, because, you know, it's season one. You're yes. developing it as you go. You know what I mean? It's not like we're in season three, four, five yet. No. So how did you, first of all, work with that other DP? Who, you know, who was responsible for what? And then also talk to us about the way the show has evolved over the series season. It, yeah, I mean, I've initially, I've, you know, only done blocks of shows, uh, or you might open a show and you do the first block, which is the first two or three episodes, and then you'll walk away from the show. This was the first time I've been there for the whole duration. Mm. Um, so the way it worked is I started it off, and then John did the, John Serapio was the other DP, and we would flip flop between us. And it was just something I'd never experienced and was so great because you've got, you, you're normally on your own. And now I've got someone I can talk through ideas. Um, he had some great ideas. We could sort of uh, approach it together. Nearly. Um, so after I'd sort of set things up here, he joined later on. We really talked a lot about how we wanted to try and stick to some of the, the ideas that had been started off. Uh, and, you know, where he could have sort of pushed back on that. What was great is we had the relationship where um, it was very collaborative. Um, and I think from the look of the show, it helped the look of the show because it, I think that look is maintained throughout. So what, like you're going back and forth between episodes. So were you doing like one episode? He was doing two, three and four, or is that how it worked out? Yes. So it, it changed. So were you basically like, were you basically like prepping? So you shoot one, he's prepping two while he, you know, then you start prepping three. Is that, you were just back to back like exactly. that? Exactly. It's just that the head, I get a little extra prep just to set it all up. But then 
you just flip flop between you. One goes into prep, one goes into shoot. So it's, it's, you know, you, you don't see each other so much on set, but you, you know, you always see each other around, um, uh, you know, on the, on the set while one's shooting, the other one can be spying what the other one's doing. But it, yeah. it was, as I say, it was just, we had a common approach because it made it easy for everyone. If we approach things in a similar way for the camera team, if one of us came in there and decided to completely change how we were going to uh, light one of those spaces, I don't think it helps the show and it definitely doesn't help the crew sort of uh, get into it. Now I want to talk about the way that you shot the games and the field work exteriors, all that. But before we get there, I just want to um, dive in a little bit more into the gear that you chose. So talk to me about your camera package, the lenses you paired with it. What did you ultimately choose for Ted Lasso? Well, uh, yeah, this is it. So to help um, avoid the show, I guess, being um, too much like some of the references they said they wanted it not to look like, like their earlier uh, sort of documentary style footage, like uh, the network shows they'd sort of given as an example. I tried to use a very filmic camera and I chose the uh, Alexa LF, which you know is a, was quite a new bit of kit at the time. Very, uh, you know, shallow depth of field. You wouldn't classically use it for a comedy. Um, mm. And it being a large format, the lenses you use on that, you're limited to the choice, a certain choice. Um, and we went through, I went through basically testing as many as I could in the time I had and really was surprised that a lens called Tokinas, which you may not have even heard of. Oh my God. Um, you're using the Tokinas with that. So I use the Tokinas and, you know, I use the Tokinas because there weren't that many choices of large format lenses and there, a lot of them were busy and things like the K35s, which is a Canon lens, which I love, is compatible with large format, but I think it was too wild for this show. So I settled on the Tequinas because they actually, they were, they, you know, one Tequina lens, uh, or rather a whole set of Tequina lenses is probably one Master Prime. They're just, they're cheap. Uh, it wouldn't be your first go sort of choice of lenses, but love them. Absolutely love them. They, they do something when you chuck a light down them, when the uh, sports uh, lights are flaring the lens, they actually did something, which so many of the new lenses, particularly large format lenses, because they are new, don't don't re really react um, to light like those older bits of glass. So it was an interesting thing because John saw these tests and when we went for season two again, we went through everything again with DNAs, with all the choice of lenses now. It was even more money for us to choose any lens we wanted in the world. We went with the Tequinas again. So, yeah. That is so interesting to hear. I don't think anybody yet has talked about using those on um, on their sets, but like, I mean, I know Tequina, I haven't used any of their like big cine lenses. They're, you know, really super pro lenses, but I've always been a fan of theirs. Now, I don't know if this is the case in the cine lenses, but I guess the one criticism I had, it's not even necessarily a criticism, but they often are super, super sharp um, in more of the consumer grade versions of the Tokinas. Your show has a nice, it has like a, um, it has a softness to it. Like I can see some, it, maybe just a touch of blooming in the lights. There's a softness to it. There's like a warmth to it. Were you using additional filtration on top of those lenses? Very, very seldomly. I mean, for mm. close-ups of some of the, uh, um, some of the cast, I would add a filter occasionally, but, uh, and I, I used, uh, haze occasionally as well, but really pretty much clean. So wow. no, they, they're, they're not as sharp. They are sharp mind. They're large format lenses and we're shooting 4k. So, uh, you know, you do want to degrade that image as much as you can sometimes so it doesn't look too video. 
but really these the color uh the focus fall off i think really helps soften the image as well yeah well that that is an interesting pairing and i'll, I'll put a link to some of these large format um lenses from tokina in the show notes um Newshooter.com did a, a great article on them a little while back. So I'll put a link right. to that so you guys can check them out. Um, let's talk about the color science in the in the show because you kind of have an interesting challenge there. Like you have a lot of natural looking color. I mean, all the skin tones are super natural. The environments are very natural. But then you have these big game sequences where everything is sort of giant and fantastical and bright and cheery. So how are you balancing that? Well, I mean, the, the colors were originally chosen because we were given permission to shoot at Crystal Palace, which is a club here, which is uh, blue and red. So that dictated everything nearly, the, uh, the costumes, the colors in the, uh, uh, in the, in the locker room. Um, and that's um, one, one thing that the designer and me sort of, you know, worked quite hard at, because I found the colors initially a little primary and a bit school-like. And we worked quite hard creating a lookup within the camera that would just dial those back a bit so they weren't quite so bright. Um, actually, this season, we've sort of repainted some of the sets, just that tone down so they weren't so... We didn't have to do so much work uh, in the grade to, to, to basically not affect, affect skin tones. Yeah, I, I, I think... Um... I think you're right. I mean, the, the colors, the colors that are in there could certainly be overpowering if, if not handled well. And I think as you're watching it as a viewer, I mean, obviously anybody listening to this show is going to appreciate that type of color work, but I think just the average person wouldn't realize that those colors are hard to compete with. It's, it's hard to keep the attention on the talent when you have colors like that in the background. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, one of the, uh, everything was a set, including um, Rebecca's office, uh, but that set was built overlooking that actual football uh, ground, um, soccer ground, and uh, it was south facing. And we struggled so much to control the lights in that space. That wasn't a space uh, that had bright colours. It was a one room actually that had muted colours. Um, mm. But the colour of the football pitch would bounce straight in there when the sun came out. And the weather in the UK is such that the sun goes in and out and in and out. You're nearly <laughs> in an exterior, even though you're, you're in an interior. So that that office has actually uh, been rebuilt uh, this this time round. Um, probably the hardest location to shoot in was that office. Really. We lose light during the winter here. We don't get much daylight. Um, so you have to shoot with daylight hours or not look at the window. And why are you in that office if you're not looking out the window? Because that's that's what you want to see, really, the football yeah. ground below. Um, so a lot of VFX this time to, to, to do it with green screen. But, um, yeah. Yeah. but yes, no, definitely a lot of those bright colors, uh, you know, you don't want to lose the cast. So you've got to keep the light off them. And when you've got ceiling lights... You know, they, again, having control of individual units so you can knock down the ones against the walls um, really helped. Let's talk about some of the game and field scenes in Ted Lasso, because you're on the field quite a bit. And this, I can imagine, has to be such a fun opportunity to just have big, giant shots with a lot of movement like that. It just seems like a lot of fun, but it also seems like there's probably a ton of challenges that you may have not even recognized when you were planning these shots. So talk to me, yeah, yeah, like talk to me about your approach to this. What what were some of the you know challenges that you faced, and how did you overcome them? Well, in my mind, I had these massive wides with lights coming on, those kind of classic images of big rounds. Um, 
And very quickly, that was a dash because we were not allowed to put a camera anywhere near a premiership football ground. If you uh, put a divot in there, one of the players were to go over and ruin their season, you know, it, it was just not going to happen. So we've, and you know, this was the show finding out sort of together that we couldn't do the sequences we wanted to do. Oh my God. So wait, so, you weren't allowed, you weren't allowed to be directly on the field? No. Am I... If you go, you know the scene in the beginning in the pilot where Nate runs onto the pitch because he sees Ted Lasso and Coach Beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get off, get off. That is exactly what happened to us when we went there. It was like, you can't go near the pitch. The pitch is the most prized thing uh, a premiership team owns. It's controlled. Water systems are controlled by satellites. Um, You know, they can't even control the sprinklers when they come on and off. So... You can't go on the pitch. So, you know, we had to then think very hard how we were, how we were going to do some of these things. And that's where it became a real piecemeal. So the, the dugout was um, a small build, which we built at the studio. The, the uh, sort of pitch was uh, the pitch that was, you know, basically a field that they marked as a football pitch. Um, so and then green screen was put all around it. And the entire pitch, uh, the entire audience rather, was built CG to go in there. Um, but then it was also some parts we shot at the actual ground, um, the tunnel, um, some of the audience, certain things, and they put put it all together beautifully. So you sort of can't, you don't realize that so much of it is shot in different places. But the the, the point sort of is you were making how great and special it feels filming it. Well. It was raining. Uh, there was uh, bits of green screen blowing in the wind. Uh, you know, it was our lights hanging everywhere. Those flares you see on their faces are our lights flaring the camera. And then they put in stadium lights behind that in CG. So wow. it was, you know, you had to have a real imagination, particularly with scenes like where you've got a player and that you want it to frame them with all the audience behind sort of cheering or jeering. You, you, you have to remember that that audience is there. There'll be 50,000 people behind that player. Um, and you want to frame them with all that space behind, not instinctively with a bit of green pitch, on, you know, next to them. No one wants to see the pitch. They want to see the player, you know, those photographs with loads of headroom and the entire audience screaming at them. So it's it was a learning experience. And I think we're better for it this time. That's for certain. What changes were made in season two now that you've kind of gone through the experience? Well, initially, because it rained so much last time, there was a want to do it somewhere inside. But we assured people it doesn't always rain here. And yes, so no, <laughs> we got away with it a bit better this time. It's it's tricky, though. You know, it's a long shoot and there's always going to be bits that happen when suddenly a, a snow a snowstorm came through, um, which actually made for some visually very arresting uh, shots of Jason in the snow. Um, yes. But really, it was. I think we were just more confident this time. We knew it worked, um, and that really helped. And we had a plan from the start, rather than we'd started before, and our plan, a plan, sort of disappeared as we realised we couldn't shoot it, shoot it on the pitch. And I think it also came from the fact that perhaps initially they thought visually we would just use television camera style approach and put long lenses on the side of the pitch, but. My reference from the start was much more like Itonia, and so we, I wanted to be on the ice with them, on the on the football ground with them. Yeah. And for that, we had to be on the pitch, and that means the grip rolling around uh, with some sort of rig that we could follow the football players, and that's what was hard to get permission for. So, so wait, all right, so, so were you not able to go on the pitch at all, or 
We wouldn't have been able to at some of those premiership grounds, but the way we did it, we were. So, um, okay, so built- you sort of adapted the way that you shot with what? what? What was it that, I guess, what did you do that had them say, okay, now you can shoot on the pitch? And by the way, I didn't, I never heard this term before, so I looked it up as we're talking. The pitch is basically like the, fi- it's the field. It's the whole thing. Sorry, it, it, yes. But it's no, but I mean, no, no need to apologize. I'm the one that doesn't know what we're talking about, but but I'm sure there are others in the audience that just aren't familiar, but like, it's the whole thing. It's not like a small section of it. Like it's the field. It's the whole yeah. thing. You don't go even near that sideline. So yes, no. So, I mean, the, the, the biggest thing we changed was obviously we weren't going to shoot it at premiership ground. We were going to make the pitch ourselves somewhere else, the field. Okay. Uh, and, and mark it, mark up a, luckily near the studio was a small sort of uh, lower league team plays and they have a very nice uh, field. So we used that on the whole. Um, and we attached a Ronin to like a two-wheeled sort of handheld push buggy, which the grip could oh. use very quickly to get the camera low and high. Um, and we could control to follow the player's feet and the ball and to do those kind of shots. And those are the kind of shots I wanted to, to shoot, which at any normal ground, we wouldn't have been able to get because of fear of damaging their pitch. Yeah. All right. So in those big shots where you're moving around and you're on the wheel device and um, and you're on the Ronin, what camera package are you using? Are you just are you doing like an Alexa Mini LF for that just to keep it real small? Yes, very much. The Alexa Mini LF came out uh, and I think we wouldn't have used the LF if it wasn't for the Mini coming out. The LF is just too big for what we uh, had, had in mind. It's a massive and very heavy camera and I wanted handheld to feature. So um, we would have looked in different directions uh, if that had been the case. But the Mini had just just come out and had just gone into uh, a ProRes format because before then it, it couldn't shoot ProRes and Apple weren't too happy about using it uh, with the data files you get uh, in RAW. So the day we started, I got a call from Ari to say, we've released it, we've done the checks on it, it works. You'll be the first person to use it. How do you feel about that? I was like really nervous. I don't like to be the first because I like someone else to see the problems that come up. They rest assured that it was going to be no problem at all. Apple uh, checked it for us and we dived right in there. and We had no problem at all, actually, with it. I can imagine the focus pulling being a really, really challenging role here. Um, How did you accommodate that? I mean, all of your shots have really nice, like soft backgrounds. Like it, it what were you, did you adjust your F-stop? Were you using any tricks? Were you making it easier for them? Or did you just say, hey, <laughs> figure it out? Yeah. <laughs> Look, those lenses go to 1.5. So oh. I didn't go there because that's just mean. A large format lens in 1.5, it's just torture to a focus. Um, and it's not fair because the show still has a high page count and we have to get through, a, you know, it's, it's still not a drama page count. Um, yeah. So... No, I, I'd aim around two, two and a half, uh, two, eight occasionally. Um, so it was still very challenging. But, um, you know, I had my normal team of some great focus pullers. And occasionally when you knew you had a shot of someone moving toward toward the lens fast, would give them a bit more. Um, but it, no, there were some shots where we really did struggle occasionally. I did feel guilty. I think the 85 mil for some reason, more than the 105 or the 135 just caused so many problems. <laughs> so Really? Yeah. It's, it's Well, first of all, why are you using 105s basically on a Ronin, running down a field? You're mean. <laughs> I mean, remember the last format. So those lenses are actually okay. a 50 or a, 
you know, on the whole, we, we mostly shot on, I'd say, 40 or 50. And that's really a, a 25 or, a you know, yeah. those are wide lenses. But still, you get that beautiful depth of field. And, and that's what we, we enabled us to see things like the ceilings, because you could still get that beautiful fall off, that wide angle background, but still have that, you know, nice narrow depth of field. So your the Ted Lasso was your first time shooting comedy. It, you know, you had a unique experience by not shooting blocks, kind of going episode, you know, alternating episodes. What were some of the lessons or, or what was what was the biggest lesson that you learned from, you know, season one of Ted Lasso that you'll take with you on to season two? What did you learn? Well, that's a hard question. Um, what did I learn? Um, definitely um, about collaborative uh you know, collaborative TV making is so much fun if you've got that right person. As I say, John Serapier, another DP to work with, was one of the most fun experiences I've had. Uh, and, and you know, super sort of learning experience as well. You know, he had a load of knowledge and we could just sort of, between the two of us. Um, so that was a really great experience. And we started the show off together as well. John wasn't able to continue throughout, but we did the same thing again. Um, and in prep, it just meant we could test all these ideas that we wanted to test, um, improve some of that moving camera stuff, uh, recheck, do we have the best large format lenses we think we, you know, we, we can get? We felt we did. Um, so, yeah, I think the, uh, the football stuff uh, was a learning curve, as, as I sort of I think I've alluded to, that I just felt so much uh, more relaxed this time, knowing I knew we're doing a football show I know how I'm going to shoot the football because it's quite daunting to start a show when you're not sure how you're going to do one of the big parts of the show. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up is this panic attack scene in the nightclub. Um, and I know it's a scene that you wanted to talk about as well. So um, talk to us about kind of what the scene is and how you approached it. So um, as the story unfolds, you find out that um, – Ted, even sometimes in his most comfortable moment, uh, can be hit by uh, these panic attacks. And you see them come on, uh, and he explained in detail to us, to Jason, how these panic attacks were going were gonna to come on. The, the, the sort of twitching, the auditory change, the twitching of his fingers. And it, it was up to us then to develop an idea of how to visually show that. Um, initially, I got all excited um, Requiem for a Dream, pie style. I was going to attach a camera to him and, you know, have that sort of derealized sensation of having a camera on him. And it was just, that's what was fun about working with Jason. He was just clear that, no, he doesn't want that. That wasn't, mm. that wasn't how he wanted it to, to feel. So we came up with another way, which was just to use those wide and close lenses again um, and go really wide, very close, uh, and, and sort of watch this evolve from his fingers uh, and then, you know, in that nightclub scene, let the lights, you know, go wild. It was a great karaoke bar we got hold of and handheld again, some slow-mo, undercrank the camera uh, and, and, you know, use those sort of devices and the sound very much as well. Um, and, you know, I think uh, it's not something you often see again in a comedy. Those moments, um, it's they come out of nowhere in a sense and they really ground uh, him and allow me uh, some time in a comedy, which there's not always that much room for cinematography um, to, to have some fun. Well, I think you guys did a great job. I mean, having had many panic attacks, I think you represented it really well. Um, and I'm curious, like, 
was it coming from, like, have you had any? Like, were people on set being able to identify these as, you know, similar to their experiences? Did you have, like, a medic on set or, or somebody that really understands these things? Because I found it to be pretty accurate. You know, I think that's all due to, to, to Jason. And I guess uh, perhaps my initial uh, feeling was I was referencing films and I was going for a more sort of uh, uh, how it is done in films. While Jason, um, I think, uh, had either experience or has seen these happen and really understood um, how he wanted it to to be represented. So, yeah, no, I, th I think in everyone when they saw it, and it's something that recurs and recurs through season two as well. And I'm really glad that visual language is there and, and you know, goes through through the seasons. I mean, it's all about being disoriented and distracted and kind of fighting to be in the moment when you're being, your your brain is pulling you somewhere else. So I think you did a great job of that. That That is really the key. And there's, I, 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 course can't think of it at this very second but i know i've seen poor representations of what this is that just lean on cinematography to just make it look cool where i think you guys did that but you also had it pretty accurate to what at least my personal experience is so kudos for that yep thank you i think i think that again the performance is a big part of it too but yes trying to avoid some of the cliches the big bead of sweat on his forehead and you know you know, I think some of them, those were, were still there. The sound change, the wide angle in his face to, sh to sort of show that the world is just shutting down for him. He's just in himself now. Um, yeah. But they were done in a subtle enough way that uh, it felt it felt true. Well, the show is called Ted Lasso. It's on Apple TV Plus right now. The whole first season is available. And I know you're working on season two. Anything we should expect? Any little tidbits you can give us here? We'll keep it quiet. We'll, we'll keep it just between us. All I but can what can say we expect in season two? It's the Empire Strikes Back of the trilogy. That's all <laughs> I want to tell you. And Jason says it himself. It's 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 a roller coaster. I promise you. How much more shooting do you have? Two more weeks. So oh wow! It's, uh, that's five months of Ted Lasso. That's what it does to you. I had a full head of hair before that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is exciting, and congratulations on all your success. The show is great, and I really appreciate you being on. So there we go. David Rom, Director of Photography for Ted Lasso. Where can people find you online? Do you maintain an Instagram or a website, or where can people go? Uh, Twitter. I need to get better at my Instagram account. I really don't, don't, uh, don't look after that as I should. I've got a website. Um, but yes, all those things, and um, thanks for reminding me to, to get on that. <laughs> Not to give you more work, but it's there on, we'll put it in the show notes, but David Rom, D-A-V-I-D-R-O-M.com. We'll put it in the show notes and it might even be in your little Chiron on the bottom of the screen. We'll see what happens, <laughs> but we appreciate you being here and thank you so much again. Congrats on the success of the show. It, it looks great. It is great. And uh, you certainly are one of the reasons why. Thank you, Ben. I've uh, just uh, to, for this uh, uh, interview, I, I started watching and listening to some of your uh, your other interviews. I got totally lost in them. Uh, oh, good! Fantastic, hearing all those great cinematographers talking about it actually made me feel a little bit like uh, I'm, I'm talking about you know a comedy TV series, not some of these incredible films that uh, that you know these DPs have been talking about. So, oh my God! Well, I I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's like when I when people in you know when peers of the guests. You know what I mean? Like when people at your level are listening and liking it, uh, if I'm helping, you know, if I'm, if I'm presenting information to you guys, then we're doing the right thing. Definitely are. It's fascinating stuff. Like the Deacons, uh, podcasts, I put this 
right up there. It's just uh, really, um, I'll, I'll keep tuned. Oh, thank you. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. All right. I want to thank David Rom, uh, the director of photography for Ted Lasso, for coming on the show and talking to us all about the show. I love this show. It's hilarious. You guys should definitely, definitely check it out if you haven't already. And uh, David just did a great job of explaining all the ins and outs on how he made the show look the way that he did. So uh, go and support him at his website and his Twitter and his Instagram and all of those things. You can find him, David Rom. And of course, we'll put links to all of it in the show notes. Now, I also want you to follow and uh, support our producer, Connor Crosby. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com. He's the one putting the show together behind the scenes. And you can find him there at ignitionvisuals.com. And of course, Dave Siegel from siegelsound.com for mixing and mastering and make the sh making the show sound so good. So uh, support those two guys as well. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Search Go Creative Show and you will find us everywhere along with our website at gocreativeshow.com. And of course, you've got to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Search Go Creative Show, hit subscribe, and you will never miss an episode. And for those that haven't had enough of my voice, uh, you can follow me as well on Instagram and Twitter by searching for Ben Consoli, B-E-N-C-O-N-S-O-L-I. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you next week on another episode of The Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers.